time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. For once in my life, I have someone who needs me. We need you. It's Hancock and Kelly on our regular Friday gig from 830 to 11 today here on KMOX. That's Tony Bennett. He passed away at the age of 96 today. 96. We're going to talk a little bit about Tony Bennett later in the show today, but you just told me, John Hancock, that you're hungry. I'm starving. Do you not eat before you come into the uh, office? I didn't this morning. I thought about it. I uh, even opened the refrigerator. Is that right? Looked Took inside. The, looked at some, nothing in there? A couple of eggs there I could have made. Um, That's but, too much work. Well, the cleanup. The, yeah. the making of the eggs is not... I, I, now, you know, I don't... <clears throat> oh, here we go. I don't like to talk. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other the other day, you know, my father-in-law has been spending a lot of time uh, at the house Good with dude. us. And he spends the night, I don't know, two or three, four times a week. So I got up the other day and... Broke into the eggs. First I first I sauteed up some onions in the skillet there. A little butter and onions. <laughs> Cooking away. And then uh, whipped up the eggs. Throw a little half and half in there, a little bit of sour cream. And uh, whisk them away there. Whisk, whisk, whisk mm-hmm. the eggs. Toss those eggs on top of that, uh, those sauteing onions, Michael. Uh-huh. And then uh, chopped up some uh some ham that I had in the refrigerator, and a little mozzarella. Okay. Threw it all into that skillet, mixed it up, whipped it up. Wow. A little salt and pepper. Incredible. That's quite a that's Incredible. quite a production that you had there. Well, it, Let me it ask you this. Did you, did you, when you went to school, did you used to make your lunch that you would take to school, or did your mom make I that? I have only started cooking within, I would say, the last five years, and, uh, and I love it. And, you know... <clears throat> I'm pretty good uh, in the in the kitchen, if I do say so myself. I whipped up some pastizo uh, a year or so ago for the for the family. Well, a year or so ago, wow, what yeah. a badge of honor! So, did you used to make your own lunch, or did you? T- no, did your mom my, made it. My mom made my lunch, and uh, occasionally it, she'd put a little note in there. Yeah, right. And there's nothing better than a note from your mom. But uh, there were some days, man, when you opened it, the the little brown bag yeah. and you'd look at it and you'd think, "Oh no, not this." No, you know, mom was pretty Bologna good. was that for me. Whenever it was bologna, I what, was you like, got really? with, What's your problem with bologna? Okay, so here's my problem with bologna. I don't like bologna, yeah. but I can force it down when it's cold. Yeah. But when you put it in your brown paper sack and you take it to school in your book bologna. pack and you throw it in there you and you like got warm bologna. bologna, I don't want warm bologna. You Unless don't it's want hot. warm bologna. I like hot bologna. He likes hot bologna, but not warm bologna. Not warm bologna. This is a finicky eater, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, and peanut butter and jelly was always my favorite. I still eat that today. Do you? So, uh, no. It, huh. So uh, I remember, you know, we used to get the on Fridays. Okay, my favorite day of the week, by the way. All right, on Fridays, uh, we used to get the hot pack at uh, Willowbrook Elementary School. Where, What's that? Well, that would be an extra piece of pizza. Ooh. So you'd, you'd you'd order the pizza. You have to order your food the week before, mm-hmm. the, you know, and so but some times days, two on Fridays. Mm-hmm. I got the hot pack, extra pizza. Every Friday, and it was, uh, you know, that was splurging, because we didn't have a lot of money, and uh, but that was splurging for us. 
Well, that's cool. It's always nice to have a little uh, nice meal there. But, a rectangular-shaped uh, piece of pizza, which I've never did, quite understood. Did you ever get into bartering and trading when you were at the in the lunch hour with, you know, your mom maybe give you some fun fruits or an apple, and you're like, hey, maybe I'll well, trade that used for to, some great Well, we used juice. to steal Keith Gentry's lunch, but that's not quite bartering. You're a bully. Uh, well, not me. It wasn't me. It was uh-huh. my, you know. Uh, you you just kids. said we used to steal. Well, the well, kids, and that wasn't me. Good I thing the uh, statute of limitations has expired. Well, you know it's going to be a good day when your first guest brings you in a book. Yeah. State Representative Holly Rader is in studio with us. She brought us the name of uh, her book called Cinder Girl. Welcome, Representative. How are you? I'm wonderful, and thank you so much for having me on. So what's Cinder Girl about? So Cinder Girl is my memoir, and it is something that I started writing several years ago after I, I won my seat in the House, and, you know, in just normal debate, and actually on PDMP, which is a bill that I carried. I And PDMP I would, did what? So that was a prescription monitoring program, which allows our physicians to be able to see what medications they're their patients are on now electronic medical records have been around forever and that's what this is but um it was something that we were the only state that didn't have it and when i came into office growing up in addiction and and experiencing it as a mother with a child who struggled also you know i wanted us to get the prescription drug monitoring program i had personal stories and could talk about that on the floor and the more i talked about my personal life people were like Wow, you know, wanting to hug me, and I'm like, well, I don't need a hug. I mean, I'm just showing what a lot of right, a lot of people are dealing with. Right, and so, but some of the comments and just the misunderstanding made me really realize it was time to write my memoir and hopefully to give people with power to make effective change a view of what it truly looks like. State Senator Holly Rader is our guest. She's from Sykeston, Missouri. She recently announced, I guess this week, uh, that she's running for lieutenant governor in 2024 as a Republican in the primary for that uh, will, what will be an open seat. Your personal story is is very compelling, and you write about it in Cinder Girl, Cinder Girl growing up on America's Fringe. Talk about the... The the lifestyle, uh, the addictive lifestyle that you came out of and, and succeeded through. Yes. So I've been very blessed. My mother struggled with mental illness her whole life. And, and I talk about that in the book and and kind of where a lot of that came from. And um, but single mother, you know, I grew up in trailer parks across. Um, I've lived California to Florida, but I was born in Memphis, spent my youngest years in Dallas. And we've traveled. We traveled since then. From the end of my third grade to the beginning of my 10th grade, I had moved over 30 times. Wow. And, you know, when things would go south for Mama, she would just say, pack up. And we would pack up. You know, we'd only had a couple boxes worth of stuff. And um, we'd hop a Greyhound bus. And we'd go to the next place. And um, that was life for me. I grew up in uh, drug addiction, sexual violence, uh, domestic, horrific domestic violence. And so... And so that was the world that I came from. At 15, I had to quit school to help take care of my mother and little sister. We'd been in a really bad car accident. And I also, at 15, had her sign the papers to allow me to marry my 21-year-old boyfriend. Wow. So at 15, I was a high school dropout, married, and then pregnant. And I had my daughter at 16, and I really had to look around and say, this is not the life I want to give her. I don't want her to grow up 
in this same situation and us continue this. And now you're in the state Senate. And now I'm in the state Senate. And you're running Senate. for lieutenant governor. And I am running what, for lieutenant governor. What, what, was the, what was the trigger point for you when things turned? You know, um, when things turned and, and I knew I needed to get out, it was um, when one of my stepdads was a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. And, and he beat my mother to where there were many times I didn't know that she would live. And he was chasing her with a knife around the trailer park, the outside of the trailer park. I had run to the next trailer park and called the law. They had gotten there, and um, they saw him with the knife, up, you know, chasing her. And um, they got him in the car, and as he was driving off, and my mother was, you know, hysterical and in tears, and other people in the trailer park were consoling her, and I knew that she would go bail him out. Mm. And I thought I can't, I can't do it anymore. Mm. I just can't do it anymore. And that's when I, that's when I asked her to sign the papers for me to um, marry my boyfriend when I turned fifteen. I was about a month from being fifteen, which was the legal age at that time with one parent signature. Wow! And how'd you end up in Sykeston? So my mother was from Sykeston, no, oh, okay. and uh, my daddy was from just south of there, New Madrid County. Yeah. And um, so, you know, we, we always ended back up in Saxton. We would move off, and then we, when that would go south, whether we were in, you know, El Cajon Valley, California, or, or Winter Park, Florida, um, or Houston, Texas, um, when that would go south, you know, we'd go back to Saxton, try it again, and then head back somewhere else within a couple of months. So you so. served eight years in the Missouri House of Representatives. You're three years into your uh, first term in the state Senate. Now you're running for lieutenant governor. That's a that's a big task. So uh, here's Holly Rader from Sykeston, Missouri, and she's going to be traversing all across the state. Uh, how, do you, how do you see this campaign for lieutenant governor shaping up, and are you excited to do it? You must be. I'm very excited to do it, and I love my job in the Senate. And I've really been able to affect change in the House with PDMP. It took me nine years to get that passed. And then in the Senate, you know, I've worked on some changing some wonderful laws for sexual violence, uh, domestic violence that have needed to be done. But our mental health issues as a state, our lack of mental health workers and, and people in the pipeline, we've been talking for 10 years about normalizing mental health needs they're the same as your physical health needs but when you reach out for an appointment it's two or three months off unless you're in a crisis situation and so those are the things that I needed to look to see I'm not in politics for a career I mean I was successful in the business world I was business owner for 17 years I'm you know I've done it at home um, I'm in politics to affect change and to cha- help people's lives. And so the lieutenant governor's spot, I think, gives me a bigger platform to delve into something that I'm passionate about, like mental health. Senator, you have been affected by so many issues that affect everyone in the state of Missouri. Opioid, I think everyone knows uh, someone or of someone who's dealt with uh, opioids in an opioid crisis, right. sexual abuse. Here you find yourself in the big city of St. Louis yeah. and you're uh, you're out campaigning. Gun violence is a huge problem in this yes. area, uh, and in particular, a lot of the legislation being passed by your party yeah. and Jefferson City continues to put St. Louis in a really bad spot. You probably saw it on the news last night. Where are you at on the Second Amendment, and are you open to allowing folks in the St. Louis area to have some more restrictive gun laws? I'm not. I'm very, I'm very much pro Second Amendment, and 
my thoughts on that is, is that we need a behavioral health specialist in every single school in this state. We need to be able to see what's happening in these babies' lives before they get to that critical situation. And instead of, instead of removing children from their homes because maybe their lights have been cut off and we put them into the foster care system, maybe we need to pay power bill and help that family that's in a critical situation. I like that. I like what you're saying, but at the same time, you probably saw it on the news last night, we have people walking down the streets with automatic weapons in downtown St. Louis from legislation passed by the Republicans. I didn't see Is that, this but failed I do policy? That Isn't this failed policy that's being pushed? I think that we should be able to bear arms. I do. And uh, so the lieutenant governor's office has a, a few enumerated. You would preside over the Senate. Right. Uh, you've got uh, veterans care uh, under yes. your purview, senior citizens. Yes. And tourism, and I tourism. think. tourism. Uh, so let's let's talk about let's talk about our veterans for a minute. Um, okay. A lot of debate about veterans health care, access to health care. Uh, what's the state right now of veterans health care and access in the state of Missouri? You know, we have a wonderful um, veterans home down in southeast Missouri. And we have a wonderful veterans hospital that that just is just a couple of years old. And we definitely do not do enough for our veterans. One of the things that um, I've been working on, hopefully it'll get past this year, We um, this 2023 was our first year to have it, but was allowing a pilot program for our veterans um, for psilocybin. And so that's something that some other states have done and our veterans with PTSD that are um, having deep depression and a lot of mental health issues have found some really help in where normal pharmaceuticals hasn't worked for them, psilocybin in a controlled setting has worked for them. And so um, that's, for example, one of the things. And then homelessness. Is that, is that mushrooms? I mean, it is. Okay. It is. <laughs> it is. I um, remember those from uh, <laughs> Mizzou. I mean, uh, yeah. It's a controlled setting yeah, yeah. with a therapist. That's fascinating. You know, and um, there's been... This has been going on for several years across the U.S. and with with great results. State Senator Holly Rader is our guest. She's a candidate for lieutenant governor in Missouri. She'll be on the ballot in August of 2024. Where where can people find more information about you? www.hollyrader.com. Spell Rader. And that's R-E-H-D-E-R. Well, we wish you the best of luck as you traverse the state of Missouri and uh, raising that money and doing what you got to do to get elected. You've got quite a story to tell. Yeah, it is quite a story. I'm looking forward to reading this book. It's called Cinder Girl, Growing Up on America's Fringe, a memoir by State Senator Holly Thompson Rader of Missouri. She's a candidate for secretary for Lieutenant Governor of Missouri. Best wishes to you, Holly. Thank you. I appreciate y'all having me on. Good so, to see so you. Good to good to be here. It's one of our fine Republican legislators, Michael. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. We got a lot of them in this state, uh, and uh, I'm trying to change that. Hey, when we come back, <laughs> we're going to talk politics. Uh, President Trump ups for indictment again, John Hancock. Yeah, well, three's a charm, and uh, we've got uh, we got Robert F. Kennedy testifying before Congress. Chris Saraceno, a business supporter, is coming in to talk about the gun reform in St. Louis. All that after the news on X. Time for the Friday edition of Hancock and Kelly. You two belong together. John Hancock, Michael Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference. On News Radio 1120, KMOX. I call her Firefly, cause oh my, she radiates moon glow. Wants none of that noon glow. 
Boy, a true legend lost today in Tony Bennett. We'll reflect on his life here in a little bit, but this is time for our regular political segment. Here we are. There we are. We just had State Senator Holly Rader in. She's running for Lieutenant Governor in the state of Missouri. It's that time of year, folks. Politics, politics. We're sliding to an election in next November. Can you believe that it's uh, just a little over a year away? The primaries will uh, be heating up and... uh, Everything will get started in the midst of that, John Hancock. Breaking news. We find out that Judge Aileen Cannon from down in Florida has set a trial date on the documents case related to the Mar-a-Lago and Bedminster documents uh, for President Trump of May of 20th of 2024, right smack dab in the middle of the campaign season. This is really interesting uh, on a number of levels. So Aileen Cannon was appointed by Donald Trump. To the federal bench in Florida. The Trump attorneys had requested that the trial start after the elections in 2024 because their client was a candidate for president. That was uh, one of the motions that they had made. And Trump had had praised Cannon uh, in an interview in a town hall meeting he had with Sean Hannity earlier this week. And there was a lot of speculation as to how she was going to handle this Trial date. The original date was set for December. Nobody thought that was going to happen. Uh, There's just so much in terms of discovery, and you've got to deal with these classified documents and how people get clearances to be able to view them so the defense attorneys can can review the evidence and so forth. The prosecutor's special counsel, uh, Jack Smith, wanted the trial uh, to begin considerably before the election, and I think in a surprise to many— Eileen Cannon has ruled this morning that that trial is going to begin in May of 2024, which means, you know, you're you're probably looking at a several-week-long trial. Uh, By the time all the evidence gets presented, the defense musters their case and so forth. But that trial will be concluded at some point, I would think, uh, by late June or early July of next year. Uh, well before the presidential election, and, and if Donald Trump, and we'll know by May, if Donald Trump is the Republican nominee for president, that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and it's important to remember that this is the trial related to the classified documents that were found at both of his country clubs. Uh, this is not related to the New York case uh, or to uh, January, 6th. January 6th, which potentially may be coming down now, John. Uh, President Trump uh, revealed to the world on his own social network that he had received a target letter from Jack Smith related to January 6th. I bet you'll have a hard time guessing what he said. This is a witch hunt. Uh, And uh, so we'll be waiting. We're on pins and needles to see if maybe there's another indictment coming down related specifically to January 6th. Yeah, the January 6th stuff is going to be interesting. Of course, we don't know what evidence Jack Smith has at this point. We'll know soon enough, I suspect. But uh, I've always believed that these classified documents case was the most serious legal threat that Trump faced because it's a pretty simple case to prosecute. He had documents he shouldn't have had. He was asked to turn them over repeatedly. Subpoenaed. And then subpoenaed. And still didn't turn him over. So, I mean, I think that case on its face is pretty clear. And uh, now it takes one juror to hang the jury. Sure. And you're talking about a case in southern Florida 
where a good percentage of that jury pool is going to be very sympathetic to Donald Trump. I don't know that the prosecution, that the conviction of this case is going to be easily won by Jack Smith. Well, hold on tight. Put your seatbelt on because we'll race to May 20th of 2024 for that trial. I have a feeling it'll get pushed off. Uh, Probably one of the most famous names in all of politics is Robert F. Kennedy. Not the slain former uh, candidate for president, but the current candidate for president. He's a Democrat. Uh, Many people on my side believe him to be a conspiracy theorist. The Republicans sure like him. They brought him up in front of Jim Jordan's committee yesterday uh, to talk about the First Amendment. And boy, he took a grilling from my side, John. He did. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. He's a Democratic candidate for president, but he's more popular with Republicans if you look at the polling data than he is among Democrats. And, you know, I think if if his mission were, were to somehow thwart Joe Biden, he would probably be better served running as a as an independent or third party candidate. Which goes to our next topic, which is a group out there called No Labels. And uh, it's popped up and many people think that they may wind up running a third party candidate. A lot of folks thought the RFK and even potentially Donald Trump might have been a third party candidate. Uh, but there's some other folks out there, and there's some concern on both sides of the aisle as it relates to no labels. Yeah, you know, so they've they've got a, they've raised a, a lot of money. Nobody's quite sure where the money's come from, but they are getting ballot access. You know, the the trick to running a third party presidential campaign is you've got to get ballot access in all the states, and that's every state's got a different set of procedures, signature requirements, a different hurdles that have to be jumped and no labels is on their way to doing just that. And uh, the speculation is a ton of speculation out there. But one of the things that I've heard recently is that there's a focus perhaps on Joe Manchin as the presidential nominee. And I've heard Larry Hogan, the former governor of Maryland, the Republican former governor of Maryland uh, as a potential vice presidential candidate. The no-labels people think they can win the White House outright. Very hard to win as it's never been done. Never. By a third party. And uh, the prevailing, I guess, conventional wisdom is that that would be a real blow to Joe Biden and probably help Donald Trump get reelected. I don't think it will come to fruition, but we'll continue to keep an eye on it. There is one presidential candidate who's like a dog with a bone, the party of the corporate America, big business. And the past has always been the Republicans. Ron DeSantis has turned that on its ear. We all know that he went out and attacked Disney and tried to take away their tax uh, authority, et cetera, down there in Florida, has the support of the Republicans down there. Well, guess what? Now he wants to come for MBEV. Listen to this. So we're going to be launching an inquiry uh, about Bud Light and InBev, and it could be something that leads to a derivative lawsuit uh, filed on behalf of the shareholders of the Florida uh, Pension Fund, because at the end of the day, there's got to be penalties for when you put business aside to focus on your social agenda at the expense of hardworking people. So where does this stop? At the end of the day, Bud Light made its own business decision. Now, he's saying that he wants to hold up uh, you know, investment dollars that come from state pension funds because he thinks that uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev is a bad actor. Could the same thing go after Fox Corp? Because they've been paid billions of dollars and been found uh, that they've violated the law. I mean, this is just ridiculous. What is going on inside the Republican Party well, it's both that parties. now business is the, the, the target? It's both parties. And, and politics has become um, has become a culture 
war. We're not really debating issues anymore. <laughs> um, you know, what's what's the proper role of America in the world, for example? Uh, is NATO something that we ought to be committed to for the long haul? Uh, should we be supporting Ukraine militarily uh, in their effort to rid themselves of the Russian invasion? Uh, what are we going to do about runaway Social Security and Medicare spending? If we do nothing, those programs are going to go bankrupt eventually. And we've added multi-trillions of dollars to our national debt. And instead of talking about those kinds of issues that affect everybody, we're talking about these cultural issues. And whether it's whether it's the pro-transgender uh, movement on the left or the anti-woke movement on the right, that's what has been informing political debate. And I don't think that's particularly healthy for us. Well, you heard us speak to Holly Rader earlier. I asked her specifically about guns in Missouri, and she said, hey, I stand by the Second Amendment. We don't need to do any reform. She wants to be your lieutenant governor. The business community in St. Louis is starting to step up and stand out against guns. When we come back, we'll be visited with Chris Saracino. You know him. He's from the Bartolino family, Ooh, Chris's Pancake House. Fine pizza Chris is there. at the docket. They're moving forward, putting together a group for common sense gun reform. We'll talk to him about it after this on KMOX. Now, back to Hancock and Kelly, sponsored by Insperity, HR that makes a difference, on News Radio 1120, KMOX. The loveliness of Paris. Seems somehow sadly the death gay. of Tony Bennett, 96 years old. I guarantee you they'll be listening to his music 96 years from now. What a voice. Uh, Frank Sinatra called him the ultimate songbook singer, and there's no doubt about it. We're going to talk about Tony Bennett here in a little bit. But joining us on the Quiver River electric guest line is Chris Saracino. You may know Chris. He is the uh, one of the owners from the Saracino family of Bartolino's, Bartolino's South, Chris's Pancake House. Chris is at the docket, and might I add on a personal note, arguably my favorite pizza in St. Louis, the pepperoni and green oh, olive that, that comes that from pizza, Bartolino's. That pizza is amazing. Chris, welcome to KMOX. Thanks, Mike. Hi, John. Thanks for having me on on The Voice of St. Louis. Hey, we appreciate you being on with us. And I'd heard from a couple of my friends that you were out starting an organization as it relates to the gun violence problem that we have in the St. Louis area. What's a restaurant guy doing getting involved with a gun problem? Well, well, Mike, you know, obviously in the city of St. Louis, I'm I'm a business owner in the city of St. Louis, a resident of the city of St. Louis. And this this violent crime and the things going on in downtown St. Louis gets concerning. And as a business owner and a resident, you know, we can sit on our hands or keep our head in the sand or we can, you know, step up and try to do something to learn more of what's going on and how we can be as residents and business owners part of the solution to this, you know, horrible issue that's going on in our city. And it doesn't just affect our city, it affects our region, right? So that's that's really a concern. And, you know, I'm talking to some fellow business people that have, that have the same concern. So as we explore this and, and how we can be a part of the solution, that's that's what we're doing right now. And Chris, you had a, a shooting, right, at the, at the Drury adjacent to your restaurant a few years ago. So it's touched home personally for you. Correct. Yes, it was a tragic evening. Um, when the clerk for the jury was was shot here, um, and uh, yeah, it, I mean that's that's 
home. And, you know, this is this is truly about saving lives and livelihoods when, when we look at uh, this type of uh, behavior that's going on in our streets. And, and you know, the, the last, uh, yesterday's, the alderman passing that uh, legislation and now being on the mayor's desk, it, you know, it was good to see that. And it was good to see some movement towards some common sense uh, reform. Yeah, right? common sense doesn't seem to be taking uh, hold in too many places. Uh, there's got to be some concern, even though the bill passed unanimously uh, through the Board of Aldermen. It now goes to the mayor's desk for a signature. She can sign it or veto it. Uh, she and her father have both been uh, very vocal in saying that they don't think this type of gun reform uh, or this particular legislation will make much of a difference. What say you? Well, you know, I mean, I think I think we have to listen. I think we have to listen to our business people. I think we have to listen to our residents. And I, I think we have to be in the listening mode and not and, and really look at this overall. This is a piece of the puzzle. That's a larger. The puzzle's large. Right. And this is just one piece that hopefully fits into the puzzle. I mean, the mayor's uh, working on opening up the. Uh, the places for children to go or kids to go and adolescents to go and have, you know, some some good, clean fun. Um, that is another option. There are many options out there. I just don't think that there's one silver lining that will fix the problem. I think there's many. And so hopefully um, the mayor uh, will will listen and hopefully have some uh, be favorable on this this particular legislation. Yeah, but yeah. she's done of trying to get some recreational programs going. Yeah, the other place where some common sense is going to have to take hold is in Jefferson City. You heard from Holly Rader earlier. She wants to be our lieutenant governor. She doesn't think there needs to be any gun reform. Hey, on a positive note, how are things going at Bartolino's and the best pizza in St. Louis? Well, we're going well. And, you know, in the hospitality industry, with COVID and everything, we've always uh, we've just been working hard. We have a great staff. Uh, you know, we're in almost our 60th year. And it's all due to the loyalty of our of our employees, and they're they're uh, touching our customers every day, and um, so enjoy doing it. And uh, our, we've, our family's been blessed by so much uh, loyalty to the St. Louis uh, diners, and so we are um, working hard. Thank you, Chris. He's Chris Saracino from Bartolino's, Bartolino's South. Uh, Chris's Pancake House. Chris is at the docket. Putting together this effort from a business perspective, we're grateful to you. And, John, let me tell you, I've been going into Bartolino since I was old enough to walk. Yeah. Uh, these are local people, uh, just a, a really good, solid family. And, uh, you know, guns uh, has affected them as well, personally. And they're just uh, – we've got to get some clarity and some normalcy back into what's going on with guns in the state, in particular this city. Well, so, the you know, the problem with guns is illegally – owned guns and i understand i understand the concern about um having permitless carry in the state uh, because in a place like st louis it makes it very difficult for law enforcement to identify the illegal guns that are on the street but that's <clears throat> that's the secret here and and it's it's part and parcel of the car break-ins when you see a slew of car break-ins those folks are they're looking for guns and uh, the illegal guns that criminals are, are deploying and every shooting that takes place in St. Louis is a shooting by a criminal. Uh, you know, yes, that needs to be that needs to be sought out. And more to the point, uh, when you use a, a handgun in the commission of a crime, you, you know, the law allows for stiffer penalties and those stiffer penalties need to be enforced. And I think if you begin to take 
people off the streets that are using handguns illegally. Uh, I think that will go further to solve the problem than any kind of a, you know, right. ban. Well, would, would. the access to guns and then the, the just the lack of policing, the lack of police, the lack of 911, you know. I am particularly concerned that we have reached a tipping point in the city of St. Louis where there's an understanding that there's lawlessness. Well, there is. And when you have that, it's really, really hard to put that genie back in the bottle. And really, one of the only ways you can put that genie back in the bottle is to flood the streets with officers. Many people didn't like what Rudy Giuliani did in the 90s in terms of cleaning up New York City. But, but that's exactly what he did. He yep. flooded that city with police officers. Why? Because there was a sense of lawlessness. I'm afraid we've hit that tipping point. Well, I think we have. And, uh, you know, coming out of City Hall, I saw yesterday they're going to send people door to door. To ask the citizens how to spend the Rams settlement money. Let me tell you, don't need to go door to door uh, if you're an elected official in the city. What you need to do is you need to staff your 911 offices and you need to staff your police department. Pave your roads. Yes. Cut your trees. Pick up the trash. Synchronize your lights. Send people out to clean the place up. That's the basic functions of government. And in past administrations, and I'm talking all the way back to Vince Shamel, all the way through Francis Slay, Freeman Bosley, Clarence Harmon, Lida Crusen. These folks didn't have money. They right. didn't have the resources to be able to do this. They were begging the corporate community, please come help do basic government services. Now they're sitting on a billion dollars plus the Ram settlement money, and we're going to go door to door to figure out what government should be doing? What? I mean... Folks, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. And more importantly, I don't understand the electorate in this city. People who've invested their entire lives into some of these beautiful old homes who are going to sit and watch property values sink because we're not doing the basic government needs. Well, there you have it. That's Michael Kelly, and I'm John Hancock. When we come back, we're going to talk a little about uh, the passing of the late, great Tony Bennett. That's after the news. But what defines us is who we are as a collective group and, and uh, how we progress and gain momentum through the season. The Coach's Corner with St. Louis City Coach Bradley Carnell. Mondays at 935 on America's Sports Voice, KMOX. I'm stepping out with my baby. Can't go wrong because I'm in right. Buddy, sure. love this guy. Good stuff. So I had the honor to be able to go to his birthday, his 80th birthday. You went was to at, Tony Bennett's birthday. At the Metropolitan. At the uh, Metropolitan. Up in New York City. In New York City. It was a very small group of folks. And, uh, how'd you how'd you get to, into that deal? Well, I went with a group of St. Louisans, including uh, a, a former uh, St. Louis who's died since then, who uh, Michael Nydorf. But a group of us went up there. Uh, you had, went with Michael Nydorf. Well, I didn't go with Michael Nydorf. I went with a different Tony, group. But Tony it was just Bennett's like six or seven of us, and I got birthday. to tag along, and it was unbelievable, John That Hancock. is unbelievable. And, uh, did, he, I, did he have a cake? Uh, he, no, it was a big – I've actually been in Tony Bennett's house. He's been in Tony Bennett's house. <laughs> well, he has a beautiful apartment that I looks over – I might as well be talking to uh, Sean Michael Lyle yeah, here, he, all of these. <laughs> he looks over uh, Forest, or, uh, Central Park. And well, just not, not one of the more. sweetest men yeah. uh, that you'll ever meet. Little guy. Uh, not not big. Yeah. Um, but when Frank Sinatra says you're the true American songbook singer, 
I don't think you can get higher praise. That's, that's like Michael Jordan saying you're the best basketball player. So you've been in Tony Bennett's house. I was, and he's an artist. He drew. He was was a drawer and stuff. And as even in his on his 80th birthday, he was starting to lose some of his faculties. Yeah. But when it came to singing, he couldn't really talk. But when it came to singing, he knew the songs. He could just go and huh. belt them out like a songbird, and then he would, you know, go kind of go back into that world. Because he died from dementia yeah. at 96. Yep. You know, when I'm 96, I will be pretty much decom- decomposed at that point. Yeah. Uh, but he made it to 96 years old. That's impressive. One of the, uh, I mean, just a fabulous person. I, and, and 96 years old. Can't believe you were in his house. Yeah, I've been to his house, met his wife. You uh, met know his wife. Know his son. He knows his son. Why are you doing this to me? This I, is I, you're, you're treating me like I'm Shawn Michael because I'm telling you. Some cool experience well, I, mean, I, I had. I've known you for 20 years, and this is the first time I've heard it. Buddy, I got pictures of me and Tony you B. You and Tony I'll Bennett. I'll tell you one of the coolest things ever I did. This was, is, so this is Tony Bennett shocking. was a supporter of Congressman Dick Gephardt for president. Ah, here we go. All right. So in 2003, there was a fundraiser at a club in New York City. I think it was called the Lotus Club. The Lotus Club. Which was for young folks. So it was this was a, a fundraiser Kind of a hip young, and happening uh, place. Wall Street types. Oh. And so, like the, like the wolf of this, uh, Wall yeah, right. So this 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 club is open, and we come in, and um, we go all the way to the center of this room, and we have literally hundreds of folks standing around us. Okay. And Mr. Gephardt gets up and gives a, a quick little speech and talks about why he's running for president, uh-huh. and he introduces it with his microphone. He's standing on a box, yeah. like 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 you would do in the old time campaigns. Finishes uh, his thing, and it says, I'd like to introduce my friend Tony Bennett. And with that, they play a couple of track songs where the music is coming through the speakers, and he's singing on the microphone. At the very end of that, he sang three songs. At the very end of it, he said, I need everybody in this room to be very quiet. Tony Bennett did. And he took the microphone and set it down. And he began to sing a cappello. I've been so many places in my life and time. Sung a lot of songs. I've had some bad times. You know, yeah. uh, it was so, John, it made me cry. I mean, here was, you know, truly one of the legends, a bunch of kids, five, six hundred of us in this room. You could have heard a pin drop as this man stood on a box without a microphone and belted that song. It was truly one of the most special moments of my life. Wow. Yeah. He made you cry. Yeah, buddy. You Tony made me Bennett. cry a lot. Tony. I think the last time I cried with you, Donald Trump got elected president <laughs> yeah. of the United States. We were right here in this room. Yeah, so I uh, probably before that, it was Tony Bennett who made me cry, <laughs> wow. and then Donald Trump made me cry. Well, that's just remarkable. Yeah. I mean, I had no idea you had this personal connection. You've been in the man's house. You I, did, bath- did you use the bathroom there, Tony Bennett? I, I, I didn't, um, but um, uh, he, he had pictures of, uh, you know, that he had drawn all over his house and yeah. stuff. And uh, uh, Tastefully appointed was the... Uh, oh, man, I, he had an apartment that looked over, uh, you know, Central Park. Central Park, right there, uh, not far from what's that famous hotel that everybody, uh, that Donald Trump owned for a while. I don't know. Uh, whatever it is. That big famous hotel next to Central Park, which is where Tony Bennett used to live. Yeah, it was unbelievable. So, anyway, it's sad to see Tony has died. I'm sure they'll light the uh, Empire State Building up in his honor tonight. 96, 96. years old. That's a lot 96. of years. That's I, a lot of candles. He's kind of the end of that legendary Las Vegas crew, too, right? Yeah. I mean, we had Sammy and Frank and Dean and 
Uh, then you had Rickles and those types of folks. They're all gone. He was the last one. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about Dean Martin? No. So, Did you have a cocktail with him? No, 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 no. So we're uh, <clears throat> my wife and I, uh-huh. the lovely Georgianne. Yeah, we're Saint out. We're out to dinner at Paul Mano's. Oh, best restaurant. Very uh, romantic. Mm-hmm. You know, you got the, the lights are low, the food, the magnificent food. And she looks over my shoulder, and there's a picture of Dean Martin. And she proceeds to tell me that she had a dream about Dean Martin. <laughs> really? <night> before. <laughs> How about yeah. that? Yeah, pretty much the end of the romance right there. Really? Yeah. 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 But the do, food was good. Do you, do you, have you ever considered putting on a tux and coming in, kind of untying it a little bit, have a little cocktail in your hand saying, Sweetheart, I, I did that for I'm our anniversary sing for one you. Year. Yeah, uh, one year for our anniversary. Did she think you were Dean Martin? A little well, role play there. I mean, look at me. <laughs> uh, but uh, but for for our anniversary one year, uh-huh. uh, she was out, and so I went and got uh, food. I made dinner, white tablecloth on the dining room table. You I didn't put make a tuxedo. Dinner. Well, I sort of. I, yeah, wouldn't pick it up from a restaurant. I did, but yeah. then I, I it was only I, I cooked I cooked the rest. You of heated it, it up. Okay. Not heated it up. I finished cooking the oh, okay. yeah. lamb chops. And, uh, and I had a tuxedo on when she came home, and we had a, a romantic. That was for our 30th wedding anniversary. Wow. Yeah. Can you believe I have been out of high school for 30 years? I've yeah. got my uh, reunion coming up Are here you in going? a couple weeks. I am going. It's way out in Wentzville or, you know, Fallon. So I'm going to have to pack a lunch and... Get two tanks of gas to get all the way out there. I guess all my friends, you know, I went east to the city and they went west. How I, big they was probably, your, your graduating class? Wasn't well, I was big. Catholic school. I, can't, I you know, that's a great question. Couldn't have been more than two hundred kids. Yeah, couldn't yeah. have been more than two hundred. So, Jan had she had forty two kids in her high school class. Seriously? <clears throat> yeah, and uh, and so they had their where'd she go? The Westminster. Oh, okay. And this was the early years of Westminster. Uh-huh. So there were 42 kids in the graduating class, and she was on the committee to put the, I guess it was the 20th reunion together. So the the RSVP, and this was back when we had answering machines. you know. Right. So guy leaves a message on the answering machine. He said, this is so-and-so. I'm coming to the reunion. And she thought, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> 42 people in the group. Right, right. So she calls the other person on the host committee. She says, do you remember so-and-so? No. You know, nobody knew who this guy was. He shows up at the reunion, and they go, oh, yeah, it's old oh, so-and-so. Oh, him, yeah, oh, yeah, so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good out there, Michael. And uh, none better than the two guys we're going to get to talk to next. Uh, the Vision Warriors Foundation joins us in studio If you are a fan of veterans, particularly wanting to help unhoused veterans, you need to hear from our next two. Incredible stuff they're doing. That's next on KMOX. Connect with KMOX on air, online. 1120 AM, 98.7 FM, KMOX.com. That's the music of Tony Bennett. Michael Kelly was in his house. I was. Unbelievable. Buddy, I, I got pictures with him. I'll show them to you later when we're playing uh, snooker and uh, I'm trying to mess you I up. I can't wait. In, in our house here at Studio hey B, we are joined by a couple of distinguished gentlemen, Steve Fuchs and Stephen Esparza. They are part of a group called Vision Warriors Foundation, uh, helping to house homeless veterans. And you've started uh, just an incredible project here in St. Louis. Who wants to tell us about it? I'll start. All right, uh, Steve thanks. Fuchs. Yeah, thanks for having us in, guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, so Vision Warriors Foundation is a 501c3 uh, incorporated uh, non-for-profit organization founded in December of 2016. 
Uh, we've been working in cooperation with uh, local St. Louis municipalities, St. Louis City, County, Missouri State governments. Um, our vision is to build homes to create permanent positive change. Our mission is to provide housing for U.S. military veterans at risk of homelessness mm. with the same pride they exhibited in protecting our freedom. Our core values are humility, hard work, passion, teamwork, honesty, and integrity. And our goal is to rebuild one house, one wow. block, one street, one neighborhood at a time. So you think about these folks that serve our country. And we've had, you know, between the Kuwait situation and certainly Iraq and Afghanistan, these folks have seen some stuff. And they come back. And it's not often easy to reacclimate to a civilian society. They have a hard time. Uh, Stephen, you guys have seen those folks, and, and these houses, they, they must mean the world to these guys. I will tell you, before we get to that part, I want to tell you a story. What started this whole thing was Home Depot, where I was working at the time. Mm -hmm. You know, We're big in the community service, getting out in the neighborhoods, and we we're remodeling a veteran home. And my job was to come in, thank the team for doing what they were doing, but to get to know the homeowner. And the veteran had lost his leg at war. Mm. And we're just having a simple conversation. And he had just lost his job. He was going through depression. And his wife just jumped out of nowhere and just started crying and talking about how her husband, you know, fought for this country and yet came back and can't maintain a job, can't be part of anything. He lays in bed. And, and I'll tell you, that changed me. I went to the truck in tears. I came home and just from those meetings that I had had in the city and how we needed to rebuild the city, there was all these vacant homes, vacant lots. And I came home and told my wife, I'm like, I think I know what I want to do. And I, I want to give these men and women a purpose. You know, these veterans aren't looking for big things. They're not looking for glorious jobs. They just want to come home and be part of something. Wow. And that's kind of what Vision Warriors is. And so you two wind up hooking up together as a result of your kids right, right. and starting this foundation. And it's come to fruition. You've got four, what? Tell us a little bit about what you've done to this point. Yeah, so we've got we've got four uh two homes, two homes built, uh two duplexes on Oriel Avenue in Ward 13, which is Pam Boyd's uh, district, um or ward, and we forged great relationships with her and her, her daughter Tony Cousins and we finished these homes and we've got four tenants um living productive lives um in their brand new homes. They're four hundred thousand dollar homes, wow. brand new. The, the the veterans move into the homes um, and, and they have everything provided for them. Yeah, and I uh, I know about your uh, charity because of a friend of mine who's a part of it, and she says all the money goes directly to these veterans. It, yes, it does. If people want to help out with what you're up to, because you're you're helping these folks have a long term sustainable life and a new home uh, that 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 meets their needs. How could other people say, Hey, I got ten bucks. I got ten thousand dollars. How can I help you? Yeah, well, um, I mean, we've got a, a pretty pretty significant donor list, uh, you know, Worldwide Technology, Home Depot, the Gary Sinise Foundation oh, yeah. um, have all contributed significant dollars to, to us in order to build these homes. But, you know, we have a website. Um, people can contact Stephen or I directly. Um, we've what got would a, the, what, uh, what's what the, would the website? website be? Uh, VisionWarriorsOrganization.org. VisionWarriorsFoundation.org. Vision and there's a donate button on there, yes, and people right. can can give ten bucks and or ten thousand, hopefully, uh, and help make a difference. What's on the horizon? How many more houses you got uh, ready to go? I will tell you what. What changes everybody, and, and what I challenge people is we've had companies come out to do work, to paint the houses, cut trees down, clear the next future lots. And the amazing story about it is everyone knows that the city has issues. 
But until you get somebody down there and you show them what we've done and you show them what we're doing and the changes we've made, you literally hook these companies in. That's how we've landed so many companies, so many donors, is getting them out on the block, get them out on the street, get them in the house, uh, which has just been truly amazing. We have six empty lots ready to go. Wow. You yeah. Know, so we are ready to go in the city with six empty lots. And it's just a matter of putting the money together, right? It, that's it. That's what we need. We need uh, significant dollars. We've got a proposal in with Mackenzie Scott's uh, Yield Giving Foundation. She's giving away $250 million to 250 charitable organizations. We've got a million-dollar proposal in with her. We're working through the city with CARES Act funding. So we're awesome. hoping to get some of these VisionWarriorsFoundation.org is the place to go to help Steve. And Stephen, thanks so much for your time. Michael, we've done it again. Yeah. But we, we, now we got to go over to the ballpark. Now we're going to the, the ballpark. The shift disturbers. That's what they're doing. I want to thank James O'Sullivan doing his masterful job as usual, pulling all those Tony Bennett clips for us today. Frank Glad, our producer, has also done a great job. The news is next on KMOX Cardinal Baseball this afternoon, right here on The Voice of St. Louis.